Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Also, I'm rocking with Juan T. Juan T was about to bring that town, that town bit, bitness. We're going to bring y'all to our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual. My boy and producer, Marcus. What's up, Dub Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? Boys, I am excited to announce that rejoining us in the huddle. The former Warriors beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, the current national NBA guy for USA Today, and the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sports reporting business today, Mr. Mark Medina. What's going on, Mark? Bram, thanks for having me, man. Hey, I wish that this podcast uh, it eventually uh, gets into video format because I'm rocking the Warriors uh, huddle swag right here. I also want to be on Zoom so you can show my hands there's no paint uh, all these charges about the facing murals are unfounded uh so here's the video evidence okay well I, i'm just going to give you some legal advice immediately mark never answer to a charge before it's been made i mean i haven't even thrown out the mural thing if i told you right now hey mark i did not steal your wallet you would immediately check your pockets like damn this dude definitely stole my wallet so <laughs> I, i'm gonna leave it there only because i love that shirt so much but i think all of us know about your mural defacing ways and let me bring you in right. look at the hands look at the like, hands okay they're clean they're clean but i'm sure you own a sink i mean that doesn't mean anything i thought he was showing the hands to show like these are the ones that he can put the paws on connor with like i was oh, like oh that's an oh, aggressive I mean, I mean, that move goes, marcus though do i even need to explain that it goes without saying here <laughs> Get Connor on the pod next time and demand video evidence that there's no black eyes or anything. Oh, my God. Okay. Right when I thought there couldn't be a better open than somebody wearing a Warriors huddle shirt, we started talking about giving Connor black eyes. So I am on board for this and I will return the favor. Mark, I want you to be aware of a little bit of awkwardness um, that is behind the scenes here. So today's Wednesday, you know, and we're all here. We're all recording comfortably. But what you don't know is that I told Marcus and Maxime last week that we were going to record Monday a couple of days ago. Completely forgot about it. Just a thousand percent forgot about it. And then about 10 minutes after we were supposed to start, I got a text and then a call from both of them on Monday saying, where the f*** are you and what's happening right now? So they're professionals. They're probably not going to say anything at all worked out. But I would imagine they're kind of pissy and I want you to feel that pissiness right along with me. Just, I don't know, just in case I need you to get my back against these guys. <laughs> All right. I mean, I, I'm I'm certainly been a victim of scheduling snafus on our end. So Maxime <laughs> and Marcus, if you need to console, 
I'm your guy here. Wow. I thought you just, I, I just set up you were going to have my back, not their back, man. You know what? Give me back the shirt. I don't, I don't want the shirt to be on you anymore. <laughs> I got to FedEx this to you now. Immediately. Immediately. Oh, uh, boys, we have a Warrior-centric look around the league. We got a bunch of great Warriors questions coming in from listeners, but I want to start with a glass half full. So, uh... Mark, this one's a little bit new for you. In this segment, we look back at the previous week of Warriors basketball and give out something we either liked or didn't like. And because you didn't know it was coming, I'll go first and give you some time. Something I liked, reporter Clay. Uh, we had, and I'm not sure oh, if you I got a chance it. to. Okay. We had uh, reporter Clay come back into our lives for the Detroit game. And he, in a way that almost no other player can do, was the star of a game he didn't even play in. And the Warriors actually won by 30. Uh, he interviewed Steph. Uh, he had his teammates back during a scuffle. And in fact, let me play that portion for you really quick. So he had this to say when Rodney Magruder approached him, uh, I'm sorry, approached Juan Toscano Anderson after the game. Maxime, let's hear that clip. What's Magruder doing over there? There's a little scuffle happening. What are you talking about, Juan? And then everything seems to be okay oh there. Clay's figuring out what, what, what's going on over there, Clay. Rodney Magruder. Oh, no, this dude might be out the league soon. He's probably mad about that. Who knows? Wow. Shots fired. <laughs> He's over here checking my guy. Everybody seems to be okay, yes. and everybody's going to their respective locker rooms there. But Yeah, I don't know. As a fan, Mark, I mean, all I want to do is be entertained. Clay delivers on that across all possible spectrums. He was both engaging and entertaining, and this talking at the end only really, I don't know, underlines why he was such an entertaining force. But it hasn't been without backlash. You know, since he did that, there's been a lot of takes around the NBA that maybe it was unprofessional, that he shouldn't have taken shots at Rodney's Magruder or Rodney Magruder's future in the league. So let me ask you, man, you hear that. Was that just good fun? Is it too much? How did it hit you? Well, for me, I was entertained, so that's all I care about. And, uh, you know, I, I thought because of how Clay is, he's always random and spontaneous. You never know what you're going to get, number one. And number two, there's really no thought or calculation that Clay Thompson plays in the back of his head. And I say that saying that Clay is a very intelligent person, not just with his basketball skills, but just how he is, is in general. So when I say there's no calculation, he's not trying to come with a, an agenda. He's just kind of being off the cuff. But I do understand why people would be offended here where it goes beyond trash talk, because there is this kind of unwritten rule in professional sports that you don't share things about people's personal lives, number one, and you don't say things that could impugn a player's ability to prolong their career, i.e. contract. So you can, you know, criticize their game all they want when it comes to defending a teammate or trash talking opponent. That's fine. But I think where people took offense is this calls into question, oh, this guy's, you know, going to be washed out of the league. A, play a team's not going to sign him. But I will say this, no GM is going to make a move or lack thereof on Roddy Magruder because of what Clay Thompson <laughs> said on the air. So I think on the Pistons end, I like Wayne Ellington. I covered him with the Lakers and Hey, he's standing up for Roddy Magruder, but this whole idea that they're getting so offended with everything, I think was also overreaction was also overreaction. I, I still don't know exactly what Roddy Magruder was upset about. I was trying to read the backstory with this. Uh, what Juan Toscano Anderson had said some things on the quarter relayed to Wayne Ellington things that Rodney had said. I don't know the full thing there, but regardless, there's no reason why he needs to suddenly confront the entire team after a game. Uh, that just seemed a little weird. It's one thing if there's a heat of the moment battle, you know, there's elbows being exchanged or just a physical a play, but this was after a game. It just seemed very sophomoric, to say the least. MT, did it bother you? What'd you think? It didn't bother me. Um, it bothered me more that Magruder came over in that way at the end of the game. Like it was, it was just weird to see. Like he came over and like was trying to look like he was trying to check Juan for like whatever he said about Wayne Ellington and. 
you know, to Mark's point, if you have, you know, a beef like that with what he said, I mean, everybody talks trash on the bench. If you have something you say it during the game and the game is over, you guys got spanked, like just deal with it. So to me, it was a little, I mean, Clay was having fun and I agree. I don't think Clay thinks about it beforehand and he's not a malicious dude. So I think the backlash and especially from player, you know, former players like Big Baby was just a little uncalled for. Um, there's that unwritten rule if you don't Im- impede somebody's ability to make a living off of it. But um, again, to Mark's point, I don't think anybody's listening to Clay on whether or not they're going to sign Magruder to another contract. Like he plays how he plays, and that'll be the deciding factor. I don't think Clay had any impact on that. Dude, Magruder brought this on himself. I agree with Mark. Generally speaking, you're not supposed to talk about players' prospects off the floor, and if Clay, out of nowhere, decided to take some shot at Rodney Magruder without Magruder coming and talking to Juan T, then fine. Yes, all of this criticism would be justified. But that's not what happened. Magruder decided to step out, decided to challenge a player who wasn't even in the game and the second he did that the second he changed what normally happens after a game he can no longer complain what should normally happen within a broadcast so yeah i mean clay may have stepped outside the lines a little bit we may not have heard anything like that before but i don't think he should be criticized for it and i found it to be nothing but entertaining so that is the thing i liked about warriors basketball from the past week uh what do you boys got anything catch your eye for this uh glass half full segment Hey, well, Brim, if you, I'll, I'll share the glass half full, but if you don't mind me wrapping up this up in a bow, please. What the F is Big Baby Davis doing in this? Like, he's a retired player, and then he's saying that Clay Thompson's getting hurt because of karma, because of behavior like this. Like, that's a bigger F you. Like, you're wishing that he gets hurt again. And also, he has, he has no involvement at all. Like, you understand why Clay spoke up. He's on the Warriors team. He's on the broadcast. He's seeing this play in real time. And so he's just saying on the air, off the cuff. But maybe Davis doesn't play in the league at all. He's just scrolling through Instagram like a big F you there. And 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 uh, Clay deserves whatever trash or, or Clay is totally justified and hurling whatever barbs he wants to a big baby Davis there. Because that was completely inappropriate what he was saying. I'm actually really glad you said that and should have had this ready. And I'm proud of my own technological prowess. Let the record reflect. I actually just hopped up on my computer and looked this up. But to, uh, to give a little clarity about what Mark's talking about. Um, so this is a quote from Big Baby Davis, I think, on IG. Quote, saying shit like that, I see why he stay hurt. Karma. That's directly from Big Baby Davis. And in response, Clay Thompson, quote, dang, Big Baby, this what we on now? I can't wait till I see you on the court next year. I'm calling ISO every play. Probably get 40 in a corner with big fella chasing me. Um, and I, you know, he's basically just talking shit. But that first take, saying shit like that, I see why he stay hurt. Karma, that's way uglier than anything that was said about Rodney Magruder. Right. And I mean, Big Baby's not in the league anymore. So this whole idea that, oh, he's going to base him next season, like he's been out of the league a few years. So Yeah, well, Rodney Magruder's not going to be in the league next year either. Uh, (laughs) But am I allowed to say that? Is is it too soon for that joke? Who knows? I mean, it might be a recruiting technique. Big Baby was playing in the Big Three for a little bit, right? Like maybe he's trying to get Magruder to his Big Three team and trying to get that tournament. But I mean, Big Baby's just, yeah, Yeah. exactly. I think um, there's some tampering charges there that Ice Cube needs to look into. But I think the um, overall, like Glenn Davis, he just has a history of this too, right? Like he talked trash about, um, Doc Rivers saying that he was lucky to have inherited the Celtics team that he did and that he was overrated as a coach and that KG and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce deserved all the credit for winning that championship, not Doc, and he wasn't that great of a coach. So it's kind of on par with who Glenn Davis is, and I just think it speaks more to how he feels about the trajectory of his career versus anything that's really aimed at Clay as a person. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's disappointing to hear because – Look, Big Baby was a good role player on the Celtics. He was an important part of their title runs. But, like, if he's going to go and say Doc was lucky to have that, like, he's lucky to be on that team uh, that had Ray Allen and Ray John Rondo and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Like, he, was, he wasn't a 15th man off the roster. He wasn't a scrub. But he's not winning a championship without those guys. 
No, absolutely not. And what he has figured out. So if we look back on Big Baby Davis's career as a reporter, I don't remember any analysis that sticks out or any in particular skill in being able to break down film. It's these like ridiculous out of left field takes, right? They are, they are cries for attention that always land. So it makes sense that he would have another one here, but enough attention for big baby. <laughs> Give me something, uh, something you liked or didn't about Warriors basketball recently, Mark. Yeah. Glass half full is that Steph Curry is really good at basketball. And I think that, Throughout this season, uh, there's they're always going to have a chance to make the playoffs. Um, you know, they're going to be hovering in that at best, maybe four in the West, at worst, you know, nine, 11, 10, 11. But there's they're always going to be at striking distance to make the playoffs. And so I would caution a Warrior fans don't get hung up on a big win, but also don't get hung up when there's a loss, because I think the bottom half of the Western conference, it's going to be fluctuating game to game because of a combination of the protocols and how that's affected teams, depth charts, ability to play games, injuries, and then just how even the West is um, from some of the, the teams below, you know, the jazz, the Lakers and the Clippers, uh, the glass half empty is just the injury situation with James Wiseman Kevon Looney, you know, all of a sudden they don't have a center spot. <laughs> and so I get why their identity is on small ball. I mean, that's today's NBA and you have Steph Curry on the team, but long-term uh, I, I just don't think that sustains well because beyond Steph, like who else is a guy that you can lean on and say, yeah, he's definitely going to give us a really good shooting night right now. It's, it can be Kelly Oubre. It can be, Andrew Wiggins, it can be Ken Bazemar, but it can also go the other way. So that that would be the glass half full right now. Watch these mental gymnastics, Mark. I hope to impress you with this, and I'm going to really embrace the uh, the title of this segment. So yeah, man, one of the things I didn't like was injuries to basically every single center on the Warriors roster. Uh, Wiseman sprained wrist, Chris has a broken leg, Looney rolled his ankle, but I'm going to tell you about why that made me uh, proud of Warriors basketball, why those injuries was actually something I liked from this last week. And here it is. We hear the phrase championship culture thrown around the Warriors all the time. It's kind of this amorphous thing that Warrior fans like to beat our chests about. And I, no one's really ever defined it. I think we just saw an example of it. The, the Warriors lost everybody over seven feet. They gave up, I don't know, ten to 15,000 offensive rebounds against Boston. They were down double digits multiple times and had every single reason to quit. You know what they didn't do, f***ing Mark? They did not quit. They, they continued to show up. And if you are looking for something to define championship culture, it's that. It, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter the deficit. It doesn't matter the injuries. These guys continue to give everything they have on every play. And that's a credit to the organization. It really is. And something that needs to uh, at least be acknowledged. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think, look, we don't know if the Warriors are going to be making the playoffs this season. Um, but... I think it's very clear that this team is substantially better than last year's team. And now <laughs> the, the, the standard of that's pretty low because they had the second worst record in the NBA. But this whole idea that, oh, the Warriors are going to be a lottery team again, I, I just don't see it. I think they're going to make the first round of the playoffs. But even if they don't, there's a clear growth pattern where, most importantly, you have Steph Curry and Draymond Green healthy. But I think that you've seen development. You know, Andrew Wiggins, I think – is a much different player than he was at the beginning of the season. That's not to say that, you know, he is a all-star player, but he's serviceable. I know Kelly Oubre has been up and down, but he's also shown some progress. And then you have some cool success stories like Juan Toscano Anderson, you know, former G League guy, and he's getting huge rotation minutes and he's going to get even more minutes in pot and playing at the center spot because of, of these holes here. And so I think that there is something to build on regardless of whether they, they make the playoffs or not because of just the net improvement compared to last season. And then, you know, you have a healthy clay back next year and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're back in the mix. And then the other thing is that the Minnesota Timberwolves, um, I like what they've done with the moves they make. I think Urson Rosas is a, is a good person in the front office, but you know, they've just been battered this year, most notably because of Carl Anthony Towns with both his personal tragedy and his injuries. 
And so, I mean, it's inevitable they're going to have a bad record and it's top three protected. And it's, uh, you know, if, if, if it doesn't go one through three, that pick's going to go to the Warriors. So I think with all this, it's nothing but upside moving forward. And that might not be, you know, what Warrior fans are used to with, you know, the championship equity they've had in the last few years. But clearly it's moving in a better direction than it was last year. Yeah, that leads into my half half empty half full too my my half full is that the the timberwolves are bad enough that they will definitely land within that you know one to five range for a pick and i think because revenue is down and it doesn't look like fans will be going back anytime soon that if there's ever a year for it to be true that the league kind of tips the scales in the favor of bigger markets and, and teams like a New York Knicks, this would be the year, right? So, you know, I think Thibodeau is running those guys into the ground like he normally does. And um, I could see us landing the number four pick. That's still, Whoa, you know, are you saying that there? there's going to be like some shadiness behind the scenes? Oh, are you, yeah, I mean, are you inadvertently basically saying the league is going to hand the Warriors the four pick in next year's draft? Exactly. Well, and not, not, by default, mostly they're going to hand it. Here? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's my half full. Is just that uh, I agree that the Timberwolves are playing bad enough that I think it'll bode well for us. Half empty is that I I think we're getting a little too excited about trying to make this season work and not being patient for next season. To Mark's point, with Clay coming back healthy and having a uh, hopefully a high pick. I think that's paired with our team and the chemistry you were talking about, Bram, and that kind of fight. I'd love to see this team have a chance to run it back with that um, team. And I, I don't want to see everybody get traded away for Bradley Beal. Um, I think he's an amazing scorer and he would be you know, a great compliment to Steph, but I just feel like the price tag is too high for him. And I would love to see this team keep you know the core intact keep the splash brothers and draymond and see what we can do with wiggins Ubre. wiseman has a year under his belt and another high draft pick and then all these you know just um good solid role players and see how far we can go that was essentially a podcast in and of itself if i'm hearing you right what you just said is that you don't like that there's buell trade rumors i mean like just if you're picking out the thing that you didn't like from this last week just the fact that they are considering a move for bradley is upsetting you yeah, I mean, there's whispers about it. I don't know if it, they're real or if it's just, you know, the smoke and, and screens that come with trade talk. But just hearing about it, like, what would it take to maximize Steph's window? And is it worth it for players? You know, like, Clay's coming off of two significant serious injuries. Do you, like, try to cash in on that with some of our other assets? And I just, I'd love to see us be loyal to Clay and the team and run it back. I've got some Beal takes, but I will save them. And instead, I'm going to push us towards a new segment. Mark, one you haven't had a chance to participate in. This one is called Warriors Oracle. And really, man, all it is is a mailbag. Um, we are lucky enough to have fans who have amazing questions. But a quick heads up, every now and again, they ask us for personal stuff. So we may get hit with a personal question, man. Here's the first. Ron and Alameda asks, quote, Steve Kerr said it would take about 20 games to get a sense of what this team was about. They have now played 21. What's your updated opinion on where the Warriors will finish in the West, and how do you feel about Oubre's fit with the team? I'm going to turn this to you, Mark, uh, to start us off first because you already kind of gave us a sense of it. But the last time we had you on, you were higher than any of us. You thought the Warriors might be as good as like a four or five seed and can flirt with a home game, a home series to start off the playoffs. You've had a chance to watch them now. Where do you stand, man? Do you, do you think these guys can still be four or five or uh, have you moved back a little bit? I've moved back a little bit, but I think it's still, it's still a possibility. I think when you're looking four through 12, basically, in the West, I think that those can be all interchangeable because you have to keep in mind that these, you know, this pandemic has affected a lot of teams and some have been able to escape them, but most of them haven't. But if you're having a situation of teams missing two or three consecutive games and then all of a sudden not having practice time, that team is going to hurt. And so that 
might build them a significant sure. losing streak. Um, so outside of the surprises, I didn't think that the Mavericks would be so low in the West. I didn't think the Pelicans would be so low in the West. But everything else, I, I think you could really interchange from 4 to 12. And so in the Warriors' case, um, they can certainly climb up with a few wins. But I think on the downside is – you know, they, they can also fall in the standings, whether it's losing a close game or just having unforeseen injuries or having the protocols wipe out their schedule where all of a sudden they're have to, having to deal with postponed games, lack of practice time. So, hey, in this season, I anticipated for the most part all this playing out where I knew that there would be a struggle with them playing out without Clay Thompson. I knew that there would be some mixed progress with Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. I didn't know to what extent that they would then be seen as someone who can, you can depend on or, or someone who's always just check one hide. And then I also anticipated that you would see a lot of promising growth with James Wiseman. So with that, uh, my sense, you know, talking to people in the Warriors is that, you know, they're obviously high with Steph and Draymond, for obvious reasons, are optimistic that when Clay comes back, he'll be fully healthy and ready to go again. Uh, but they see they see Andrew Wiggins a little bit differently. I think that when they made the initial trade uh, from to you know to deal D'Angelo Russell of Minnesota, they saw Andrew as a better fit than D'Angelo because look, they need a wing player, they need a defender, but they also looked at him as someone that they could also flip again. So I don't want to say that he's now untouchable, but they do look at him as part of a core four of players with the other three all-stars, with Steph, Clay, and Draymond, that they want to build around long-term. And they want to quite say that James Wiseman is part of the core yet because he's young and he hasn't played a lot of games, but they're optimistic that they will get that he will get there eventually. Um, and I think that's something to be said. And that's not to say that Andrew would never be traded, but I think in this season, I would be very surprised if he's dealt before the trade deadline. If something does happen, I think it would be more likely that it would involve Kelly Oubre. But I think at the same time, I don't think that the Warriors are in this position where they're thinking, hey, we got to pour everything just to win now this season. That's not to say that they're tanking, but they also don't want to give up long-term assets just to squeeze out a few more wins this season or to improve a playoff position in this season because they view this year as a gap year into next year. And to be clear, they are not viewing this year as the same as last year where, hey, it's just about developing and trying to get a pick. They want to make the playoffs, but they're not going to mortgage the long-term future just for the sake of, of getting to the playoffs. And I think that, you know, they are on track to be able to fulfill that goal. And it's entirely what I expected. And, you know, before Clay got hurt, I thought, hey, they can be a contending team. Once he got hurt, I think this is what I thought would be realistic. Give me an updated opinion on Ubre. Um, and first, let me react. I love hearing that about Wiggins. I mean, one of the things they had to figure out this year is who they can move forward with. And if Wiggins has proven himself to be a core guy, excellent. Um, you're certainly not going to hear any uh, arguments from me, although I would like to see him improve at the free throw line a little bit. But, you know, it's hard to give him shit. He's had a hell of a year. Uh, but Ubre is an entirely different conversational topic. And I need kind of your neutrality and your sage advice, Matt. So let's start with... Uh, a admission. He drives me crazy. I, I don't know if I have changed my opinion this many times and this quickly about any player I've ever watched on any team in any sport as I have about Ubre. And here's where I am now. Tell me where I'm wrong. All right. I, I like his game. I like his athleticism. I can see his role in the league. What I don't like is his mentality, Mark. It seems like he's just a straightforward gunner. Every single time he has yeah. the ball, he's taking it either to the rack or firing up a three. And the one thing that is unacceptable for me is he still hasn't really learned where he should be spacing wise on the floor. Um, stupid example. This might be a surprise. Mark, I can't dance for shit. 
Here's why I'm bringing it up. When my wife and I got married, we did that thing where, you know, you go and you learn a dance so that you can do it in front of everybody. And the fact that we went out and learned the dance, I still wasn't a good dancer, man. I still couldn't do it. But I knew the steps, you know, after like five, six, seven times of practicing. Maybe I didn't have the best rhythm on earth, but I wasn't stepping on her toes anymore. I knew what we were supposed to be doing. Ubre can miss shots. Fine. You know, he can be off rhythm. No problem. But you should know where you are. You shouldn't be stepping on Steph's toes anymore. And at this stage, it's unacceptable. Am I wrong? Am I being hyperbolic? I mean, help me through this. I can confirm that Bram did not have rhythm during the dance floor either (laughs) during his wedding. I don't remember turning this into a question for you. Why don't you go be upset about Bradley Beal uh, trade rumor somewhere, you bastard. Mark, please continue, Mark. Please continue. (laughs) Let the record reflect I'm dancing right now so well. (laughs) First of all, I would love you guys to be able to somehow insert a video clip or an audio clip of Bram on the dance floor. That's besides the point. We'll get back to the subject matter with the Warriors. I'm with you 100% about Kelly Oubre. What's what's weird, I, I, you know, someone in the Warriors told me today that, look, they know that he's erratic and he's really up and down with his shooting, but they like his hustle. And I don't see that at all. Like I see someone who's feast or famine with his shot. And then also his defense. I don't want to say his defensive effort is contingent on if he's making shots, but I don't think that he has the, I don't want to say intelligence because like he's a smart guy, but the defensive awareness and concepts of being able to master that end of the floor. I just don't see it. And so with that, I don't fault the Warriors for getting them. You know, under the guise of there's only so many people that were available in free agency and spending that trade exception is better than nothing because there wasn't going to be an alternative other than saving Joe Lakeup's luxury tax bill. Um, I give credit that the Warriors were willing to spend because it gives them a better chance to at least – be com- more competitive this season, make the playoffs. But I, I don't see how he is a long-term fit, whether it's lead into the trade deadline or at the end of the season. Uh, at some point, you know, it's going to be inevitable that the Warriors just see him as a role player. And when they find a better role player, and ideally that's less expensive, they'll go that route. Um, and it's, you know, I, I don't see as many games as I did before covering the Warriors on a day-to-day basis, but I try to do my best with watching as many games as I can DVR with the Warriors and other teams in the league. And the, and the games that I've seen, including last, you know, the, the previous game against Boston, I saw a guy that was very feast or famine. And when he's hitting shots, that's great. But you know at some point it's going to go the other extreme and teams just can't live in that level of extreme. It's very much more ideal that even if you're just talking about role players where they have specific skill sets and specific limitations, it's much better when you know what you're signing up for on a night-to-night basis than just dealing with the the highs and lows of just such erratic play across the board. That makes sense. Uh, Maxime, let me run this one by you, and I am very excited for your answer. So, Warriors World, an account that we have a relationship with, in fact, we used to do the podcast for him, is on Twitter. And during uh, the Boston loss, they tweeted out this, quote, just keep it close. Ubre will get it done for us, end quote. And then they attributed that quote to opposing coaches. So they were obviously making fun of Ubre. But here's where it gets uh, entertaining. Seth Curry, Steph's brother, replied to that tweet. And what he replied was LOL and then deleted it. I don't know, maybe uh, an hour afterwards. So I'm reading this as maybe Steph dislikes Ubre. If so, that just to, to break it down, a Warriors fan account has a nasty Ubre tweet and then Steph's brother likes it and says, you know, that interacts with it and finds it funny. Maxime, does that mean like, can I infer in this that there's a I don't know that not the best of relationships between uh, the Curry family and uh, Kelly Oubre. I mean, that thought crossed my mind. Look, the the Curry family, you might as well call them the Curry Mafia with how they're operating in the league, right? We've got Steph's brother-in-law, who deservedly should be just called Damian Lee at this point, um, on the same team, right? You know that the Currys have a lot of weight, and you know that they talk. They're tight-knit. I mean, quite frankly, it, it, it it's sketchy the degree to which 
um, Kelly Oubre's play is in sync with, you know, right? What was the stat from from the Celtics game last night? Every starter was um, had a positive plus minus except Kelly Oubre, who was minus twenty five. And I think it's no coincidence that they move that Kerr moved him to come out a little bit earlier in their first quarter and then start the second quarter and have that coincide with Pascal's regression a little bit. Uh, I think pretty much, you know, I was thinking in terms of the glass half full, glass half empty. For me, the glass is just Ubre and it's half full when he's not playing and it's half empty when he is. <laughs> Here's a telling thing, telling thing guys about Kelly Ubre. When you're trying to figure out how people feel about a player there's two routes in our field that we go through. We talk to people off the record and sometimes they're honest with you. Sometimes they're not depending on the relationship and who that person is. And then you also look at the on-court body language. And I've seen a lot of games where not just Steph Curry, but other players are having frustrated looks when Kelly Oubre messes up. So that's a telling sign. Number one, another telling sign is how they talk about players in the post-game press conference when they are when a coach and a player is critical of another player that means that they're confident that they'll mm. take that criticism well it'll motivate them huh. uh they, there's a self sense of security when they are kind of wishy-washy and they try to you know always point out the positive and downplay the negative that always suggests that they feel that that player lacks confidence and if he's hearing these critical quotes, that's only going to make things worse on that player. So, I mean, you can go through the transcripts and hear, watch the press conferences with Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, any player, and hear what they say about Kelly Oubre. I think the only person, unsurprisingly so, that was, that at least I've heard that was candid about him, was Draymond. When he was asked, like, do you think Kelly's pressing? And he said, I hope so. Like, that means that, He's, he cares, right? So all of these things, when they're asked about Kelly, it's always this positive reinforcement. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, they know this is the best way to reach him. And if we're going to get anything good about him, we can't just kick him while he's down because then he'll just curl up in a shell. But I think it also reveals what this player is about. And I don't think that that is a positive attri- attribute when it comes to who Kelly Oubre is. Sure. Uh, MT, how do you read this? Seth saying LOL. Uh, is is it anything further than just he found that tweet funny? I think it's, I think it is. I think to Mark's point, you look at those two um, signs as how a team and how an organization feels about a player and how that player feels about his fit with the team. Um, I like Kelly Oubre as a player. I think, you know, some of the dunks that he has and the intensity on defense are good compliments to what we have. I'm not sold that the rest of the team is bought into him. If if he's a culture fit, I don't know how he fits in the locker room. And you look at some of the plays when he does do good things, like people aren't running over and high-fiving him for, you know, a good hustle play or um, and vice versa. So you just wonder if there's a bit of a personality clash there, which you know, sucks because he would be a good fit, an expensive fit, but a good fit um, once we have Clay back and our number four pick for Minnesota. <clears throat> but um, I do think it goes a little deeper. I think Seth, you know, is just just knows how the team feels. He's obviously close to Clay and I mean Steph and Damian. So um, you know, I, I think there's something deeper to it, and it's unfortunate, but I, I do think he will be moved for a piece that fits better on the court and off the court. You mean the Bradley Beal trade that I would bring up and it would make you hell of angry? So yeah, I'll I mean, just... I would trade Bradley for Kelly straight up. You know, let Washington know if, if the Warriors pull that off. Like, can you just throw a parade for Bob Myers already? <laughs> exactly. the executive of the year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we'll throw in our second round pick next year. <laughs> yeah, or or the the report from the Athletic, you know, the Pelicans were inquiring, like, hey, well, Bob, can you get Zion out of that deal? <laughs> there you so go, straight up. Yeah, you know what? I'm willing to uh, make that trade. Let me put a bow on the Ubre thing, and then we'll move on. To me, whether or not I'm happy about Ubre being on this team can be boiled down to far too simplistic of a question. And it's this: 
Do we have to keep him happy? Like this whole idea of maybe he'd be better off the bench or we should be able to play with his role, but we're afraid of that because he may not react well. That is not the kind of player um, that he is on this team. He is a role player. And if the Warriors literally have to spend mental energy making sure that he is being placated, then I think the uh, the juice is not worth the squeeze to steal a take from Marcus. Uh, wow. And then the other side, whether or not an LOL from Seth Curry means anything, of course it does. There aren't very many relationships that can speak for one another. Um, a husband and wife is one of them. If a wife insinuates she doesn't like somebody, real good chance the husband doesn't either. Brothers are one of those relationships. And, you know, read into it for what you want. But to me, this absolutely did mean something. Boys, Tajel in San Pedro asks us this, quote, I can't decide if I like watching fanless games on TV or not. How do you feel about the watching experience this year? Mark, you have made a career of watching basketball. I know you're watching some of them on TV. What do you think, man? Do you like it? Is it weird? You used to it? Where are you at? Yeah, I'm used to it. I will say that watching the games on the telecast, uh, you don't feel like it's as noticeable without fans as it was when I was in the bubble where, I mean, I could see what it's like to be in an arena with no fans and a weird ambiance. I went to a few Laker games this season, same setup where there are no fans. That part is a lot weirder to me than seeing the games on the telecast without fans. I think to the NBA's credit, and the broadcasting partners credit with TNT and ESPN. They've done a lot of things to try to make it feel as normal as possible without crossing the line of becoming gimmicky. And, you know, I say that knowing that there are some mixed feelings about the virtual fans and whether that's corny or not, or the piped in crowd noise. But I think from a visual standpoint, the games do feel the same way, but there's no way around it. The players say this all the time, them playing in empty arenas, they're never used to it. They're always used to hearing cheers and boos, and you can never replicate that. Um, but I think from TV, at least for me, it's been normal. But that part of that has also been I know what it was like to be in an empty arena, both in the bubble and at Staples Center. And that part, I've gotten used to it, but it's still a little weird. I'm like 65% of the way there. It's like ordering a huge ice cream sundae and then getting just the ice cream. You know, like, I, I look, man, like, I enjoy watching it. It's basketball. I've got nothing else to do the same way I would enjoy you know, eating ice cream. But all of the bells and whistles, all the extras, all the things that make it pop off the screen have been taken away from me. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a stupid example of it. I was playing uh, 2K, 2K21. And, you know, what that game tries to do is replicate the TV experience but their tv experience is replicating something that no longer happens you know we've got the the full crowd we got the people running onto the court we've got the cheerleaders we've got all the extras and seeing that even though it was a video game representation really underlined what i've been missing so it's not that like i'm gonna stop watching it's not that i'm not enjoying it but it is it's it's like 65 percent of something i've grown up with and loved and it's similar but those similarities almost underline the differences if that makes any sense yeah and then you're adding this isn't so much for us but for the teams i mean they have to follow all these protocols with wearing the masks on the bench and having the 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 bench chair six feet apart and look uh, they have these protocols in place for the right reasons to try to mitigate the risk with the pandemic but there that lends itself to it just being an awkward experience all around but one thing that i will give credit to the teams is that even with all that awkwardness in the bubble, I thought their quality of play after the initial rustiness the first week was really good. And I think to some extent, it's been the same thing with the regular season. I thought that first week was ugly. You know, guys are getting hurt. There's a lot of blowouts, but I think since, you know, it turned 2021, I've seen a lot of great games on TV and that's a lot of credit for the players and the coaches navigating through this while still trying to put out a good product on the floor. Sure. No, it makes sense. I mean, I will say, though, that, that I couldn't help but think in the final stretch of that Celtics game yesterday, 
that that's the one moment where I was acutely aware that there were no fans because I just countless times seen our team feed off of the energy of the home crowd and the way we sort of deflated in the final couple of minutes. Um, you know, I, I think if fans were there, it would have been a different scenario. Oh, without it, without a doubt. If you don't mind me just saying real quick, the road home splits have been basically in reverse this year with mm. the exception of the Philadelphia 76ers. A lot of teams are better on the road than at home. And I think the reason for that is, you know, the home court advantage doesn't exist. And also teams that are on the road, as much as it's inconvenient to stay at the hotel and follow even more restrictions, they don't have to deal with the stress of making sure their family and friends that are in their household are following those rules and everyone's under the same umbrella as a team. You, you know what's in short supply as you get older, boys? Magic. You know, as, as I get older and older, the, the things that, that just shocked me or made me uh, feel like a little kid are less and less. When I go to Disneyland, the rides aren't that uh, incredible. When I see a TV show, um, I'm not that into these storylines. All these things have become less special for me. You know the closest I can get to magic now is Steph Curry getting hot. When, when he goes off the way he did in that first half against Boston, it is as close to incredible spectacle as I get in my life. And here's why I add that here. The only way to make that better, to make it more exciting, to make this magic more meaningful to me would be fans, man. You know, like that. And I, 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 I should have added that. When I'm talking about the lack of toppings, I'm talking about, you know, the actual roar of the crowd and the way that would have complemented Seth's 60 spot is unbelievable. You know, we, we have absolutely missed out on that. Uh, let me shift this. And Marcus, this one is to you. Erica in Oakland asks, quote, if you could join the entourage of any member of the NBA, who would it be? Ooh, the entourage. Um, I mean, it pains me to say it, but I probably would join um, LeBron's entourage. I mean, he and, <laughs> he and Clutch have just kind of taken over you know, like the NBA in a secret way. And I think their influence and um, power is just going to continue to expand. So if I'm going to be with an entourage of people, you know, like especially in the off season, they have some of the better players. I get to hang out with Draymond and get my Warriors fix. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a powerful network of people who have decided to take status quo and flip it on its head and say, we're going to do it this way. And we're strong enough and popular enough and smart enough to do it the way we want to and not play by your rules. I like that. And you also get a job on ESPN. So I was going to say, you know, like I'm hella boring, man. I'm older now. I have like a family. So it's not like I'm going to be going out partying. So I was going to pick like a family guy or something. Somebody like Steph, because I would imagine what he finds fun, I would still find fun. But that's not going to end up with a job on ESPN like it did for uh, Richard Jefferson. So I'm with you, MT. I'm switching over. I would like to be a part of LeBron's entourage as well. Uh, Mark, Maxime, you guys got anybody here? Yeah, I think LeBron's entourage is the number one choice because you're likely going to get paid. You're going to be on a good team. You might be on LeBron's team. My second choice would be Damian Lillard. Uh, I think he's a great teammate, obviously a great scorer. He reps Oakland really well. And I think, you know, when we're talking about all the health and safety protocols, I mean, he seems to be one of the guys that has taken the serious, most serious. I've, I've been on these Zoom calls where he says, look, I, I've been taking this so serious that my day is I go to the facility, I go home, watch games, play video games, hang out with my family, go back to the facility. When I'm on the road, I'm in the hotel room the entire time. So not to make light of the situation, but we're talking about priorities in this time. Hey, I want to be safe. And if I know that the star player is setting the tone with that, it's trickling down to the rest of the team. You just made my answer seem super trite and unimportant. I, I change it. Actually, I take this pandemic super seriously too. And f you, Marcus. I'm going with Mark's answer. I'm a member of Lillard's Entourage. Final topic, final question. So, Mark, we've got a segment we call Look Around the League. And generally speaking, what that means is we ask Marcus 
to take a glance around the NBA landscape, give us a sense of what the three biggest stories are out there, and then we pick one of them and discuss it. But today, we're changing that a little bit. Um, there is a weird sense of unease around current Warrior social media currently, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous. But I've asked Marcus to look around, figure out what some of the criticisms are that are being levied against him right now. He's going to tell us those criticisms, and then we're going to get your sense if you think any of them are justified in any way. MT, what'd you find? So I found a bunch of stuff. To your point, there is a a lot of chatter about it, but um, three of them kind of took it in different directions and different angles. So wanted to bring those up and see if we wanted to analyze them deeper. So uh, first one coming from DeBrooks661 said that he's been saying it. WTF. Kerr looks like a trash coach. He inherited Mark's team that was already on its way anyway. Steve Kerr can't coach. So, um, you know, coming out the gates light and friendly with DeBrooks with that one. Um, second one from Regime Reaper, pretty short and sweet, KD told y'all. And then a laughing emoji. And the third one from ZTF Four Star said, Steve Kerr, you played with the greatest coach of all time and the best player of all time, but you're too incompetent with understanding how a rotation should work. So... You know, those are some hot takes, and I think they're all different angles. One is, you know, do we talk about the team that Steve Kerr inherited um, from Mark Jackson? And if they were already really on their way, did Steve Kerr do anything? Or did he get a team like John Gruden did in the NFL with Tampa Bay and just kind of take them to the Super Bowl and get credit for it? Second one, KD told y'all. KD had his comments about iso ball versus the flow and system of offense that Steve Kerr had. So we could go that way. Or last, um, just saying that Steve Kerr's experience and pedigree being under pop and playing with Michael Jordan should have had an influence on his ability to better understand rotations. And that final one, Mark, one of the nasty things you hear about his rotations is they don't like that uh, Curry sits in the fourth quarter regardless of circumstance until the six-minute mark. Um, so let me just open it up with a generalized question. You covered Kerr for years. You got to know him. You see him now from the outside looking in, and it's that neutrality that really speaks to me. Let's start at general. Do you think that Warrior fans should be concerned about Kerr in any way, shape, or form currently? Well, big picture, no. I think that he is the best coach for that team and for any Warriors team. Now, When you want to microanalyze certain things about rotations or play calls, look, Steve Kerr is the first to admit that among all his attributes when it comes to coaching is that he feels his biggest strength is, you know, his ability to relate to players, his vision, all big picture elements. He he often faults himself on rotations or play calls, but that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't know what he's doing, right? Like the reason why from a big picture lens, why he had been resistant of playing step heavy minutes and just letting him go and do his thing on pick and rolls is two things. One, he doesn't want to run Steph Curry into the ground. And two, he doesn't want to set up a, th- a, a system where the other guys don't feel involved because all, then all of a sudden their entire success and failure rest on Steph and that might be a great formula to just eke out wins here or there but it's of Steve's belief and I believe it as well that eventually it'll catch up to them where then the burden solely on Steph even even though he is the best shooter of all time and can do miraculous things if he's being overburdened at some point he's going to feel burned out and then the rest of the supporting cast isn't going to feel as prepared Sure. Live up to the strength and numbers ethos. And look, I know, you know, Kevin Durant said things about Steve, and I can't account for what Kevin might say behind closed doors to friends. But I know talking to him and just seeing that up close for two, two of the uh, three seasons that he was there. Um, sure, there was some push and pull about you know, you look at it as a seesaw, like where's the proportion 
of ball movement versus isolation and specific game situations. But I don't think Kevin Durant thought Steve Kerr is an idiot, doesn't know how to coach. Like, if he was that incompetent, they wouldn't have won championships. And I think the bigger thing is, you know, Steve is navigating something that Phil Jackson navigated years before, where it's indisputable to succeed as a head coach, you need talent. And in both of those cases, they inherited tremendous talent, Hall of Fame talent. And if he didn't have that Hall of Fame talent, no, he wouldn't have won. But that doesn't mean that any coach can coach those guys to win championships because here it's not about drawing up plays or just perfecting rotations. That's a part of it. But the bigger thing is how does he manage practices? How does he manage their workload? How does he make sure that the group is unified? And that's not to say that everyone's kumbaya all the time, but it's also – how do you manage it where guys aren't fighting each other and there's a semblance of being able to make this work, even if there are differences and you have to give Steve credit to be uh, for the Warriors to be able to navigate those things, whether it's, you know, getting a lot of players that respected Mark Jackson and thought that he was screwed over by management, getting their respect to buy into what they want and also to unleash them offensively. To get someone like Andre Iguodala, who is this amazing uh, all-star player who started his entire career to accept coming off the bench, knowing that that is a ding to his pride and possibly a ding to his future earnings. To get four all-stars and Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson, Steph Curry and Draymond Green, to be able to blend their talents together like... If, if there's just an idiot coach that's riding off of their talent, eventually those guys would have cannibalized each other. Even though I know that, you know, those guys also deserve credit that it is in their nature to be, be team guys, but you need a head coach that also protects them from themselves in terms of wanting to come back from injuries too early and also protect themselves of, you know, maybe some of their selfish ambitions. And so I think that's where Steve deserves a lot of credit. I completely agree, but I want to hear MT's take. So having looked at those three uh, social media rants, did any of them speak to you, man? I mean, like, so Marcus, before you looked at what people were saying, did you have any reason for concern? And now that you've looked at some of the, the, the swords that they're throwing his way, have you developed any concerns? Um, before I looked at them all, I shared the frustration with the rotation, but I didn't think that he should be fired over it. I'm just a fan that's frustrated that our team isn't winning and used to the dynasty that we were and, you know, wanted to see Mulder play instead of pool. And, you know, like, I I think that was the natural part. I, I didn't agree with everybody saying like he should be fired and, um, he's not a good coach like you know is Frank Vogel an amazing coach yes but you know he didn't win because he's an amazing coach he won because he had LeBron James and Anthony Davis playing at the peak of their careers in last season so you know there's when when Frank Vogel was struggling with the Pacers you know they were like oh he's got to go like it, it doesn't it's not a reflection of who he is same with Brad Stevens he's an amazing coach he's having trouble getting Boston to gel together it doesn't mean he's not a good coach so you know, to me, it's not a fair critique of Steve Kerr. Um, the one that stood out to me was um, when he, they said St- KD told y'all. And I just think it's because KD attacked the very system and brand of basketball that he said was the reason that he came to the Warriors. So he said, I love the way that they play the game. They share the ball. They play the game the way it's supposed to be. And that's why I wanted to come there. And then he comes there and is integrated into that way of playing, has the most efficient seasons of his career, and then leaves and says, like, they were too stuck on the flow and not, you know, realizing when the playoffs come, you have to go to ISO sometimes. And it's like, that's the antithesis of what you said you came for, which shouldn't be a surprise because sometimes KD contradicts himself. But it just, to me, was like, 
Yeah, like Katie said that, but you know, like they went that's... to the finals. They went to the finals <laughs> every year that he was there. I mean, he won. And he a was the MVP. MVP. Yeah, MVP. I mean, there's twice. Not, there's so, nothing yeah. to complain about. I think that's ridiculous. And I'll I'll give you my own um, hyperbolic take. So I wasn't frustrated with Kerr at all. And then after you read those social media takes, I'm frustrated with entitled Warrior fans. Let me put it this way: I have in front of me a uh, a list of past Warriors coaches, and I think what might be happening is our sense of what we should, you know, the, the level of success the Warriors should be having on the floor is being infected by this fever dream of success we had over the last five or six years. And now that that's not happening anymore, you know, we, we are overly entitled. We feel like we should be getting more. But am I occasionally frustrated by Kerr's rotations right now? Sure. Um, are there things that I occasionally disagree with? Absolutely. Do I think that like nasty criticism is justified right now? Of course not. Of course it's not. It does not make any sense whatsoever. Um, and I think we all just need to relax a little bit. One thing I will add with this is that uh, I, I think the rotation questions are fair. And to Steve's credit, when he makes mistakes, he has a learning mindset. And so when it comes to rotations, he's open to change. He collaborates with players. He may have been stubborn about the system of ball movement, let's not do pick and roll. But that was because he knew of the personnel that they had. Sure. But he was flexible, as was Kevin Durant. I mean, I, I talked with Kevin at his time with the Warriors about the issue that he had of, you know, the extremes of ball movement, ball movement, ball movement versus letting him do his thing. And his frustration, the way he explained to me was, look, when there is a time when role players aren't hitting shots, percentage-wise, it's better if someone like Steph or me or Clay are taking them. And I think that that, would, that was always a healthy push-pull. It, wa it, it wasn't anything major. Obviously, they had a lot of success. Um, and so I think with Steve, he's shown that he's willing to change parts of his system this year because he knows the personnel has been different. And so I can't speak with full authority game by game. Hey, I liked how many pick and rolls he played this game or what the rotations were. But from what I've seen and read, it, it seems like that there has been a little bit of a philosophical shift of how the offense is run compared to previous years because he knows, the, you know, the identity of the team is significantly different than it was during the dynasty years. Which is a sign of his competency and his ability to, to flip on the fly. Uh, Mark, I'm just realizing I've kept you for an hour. I had no idea how long we've been going, man. You are awesome. I know. I just flew by. I guess so, man. Uh, and I, I'm sure that you have some murals to deface, so we'll get you back out into the mural defacing world for people who need more Medina in their life. Where should they turn? Well, before I answer, I gotta, I gotta correct you here. I got, I got some, uh, I got a boxing ring to go into to prepare for my huge <laughs> fight against Connor. Connor will turn up from the San Francisco Chronicle. Actually, I don't really have that much training I need to do because it's going to be an easy match. But you know, you gotta stay ready and and do the professional work. But as far as following my real actual work, uh, covering the NBA, I work for USA Today. So go to the website. There is a thing called a newspaper, so always feel free to subscribe or pick up at any grocery store, airport, etc. Um, and then, yeah, social media handles. I'm at on Twitter, Mark G underscore Medina. So that's M-A-R-K-G underscore M-E-D-I-N-A. And then the Instagram is Medina Syracuse. Mark, I was going to just move on, but you've reminded me, and I would be insane if I didn't play this clip for you. So we did, in fact, have Connor on, I don't know, about a month ago. We did play the uh, back and forth that you and I had about whether or not you can beat him in the ring. And here is what he had to say uh, in response. I don't know, man. I could see Medina getting a little, uh, playing a little, you know, off the book. You know, I could see him, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe bringing some weapons that weren't allowed or something like that. But uh, if, it, if it's a, if it's a fair fight, I think I can handle him. Um, I'm, I'm not the, I'm not the strongest guy in the world, but I think I can handle Medina. I love Medina, by the way, great guy, but uh, I can handle it.
only because I know I'll be playing this clip for Mark, I'm going to add, knowing his long and elaborate history of graffiti and defacing murals, I don't think that your guess that he might play this dirty is, is totally uh, out of the question, man. Which leads to these two questions. Question number one, would you in fact bring a illegal item into the ring? I mean, are you a weapons guy? And two, if you did not, now that you've heard him kind of laying down the gauntlet without a weapon, could you in fact take him? Yeah, I don't, I don't fight dirty. I'm not a professional wrestler, so it would, <laughs> it would all be within the rules. And then secondly, you know, my time in the beat, I, I had, you know, invited Connor to go to the, you know, workout, cross the gym or, you know, do some biking or running. He always turned it down. Like, look, he lives the sports writer life. Like he's going to be completely out of shape. I've been disciplined with all this stuff. It's going to be easy uh, once we get in the ring. So, you know, it's all playful fun. I don't take the insults uh, personally, but you know, the journalist in me has got to fact check Connor here. And those are the facts. The fact that you are currently on the show with me right now and wearing a Warriors Huddle shirt makes me want to say, Mark, my money's on you for yes. sure. Yeah. If uh, you want to reach out to us to let us know we did a good job, bad job, to have any suggested questions, anything, we can be hit up on our email account, which is warriorshuddle at gmail.com, and our Twitter account, which is at Warriors Huddle. With that in mind, go Warriors, and hopefully we'll see you next week. Good, good. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.